Today we kick off our fall sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And as I was preparing for this, I was fortunate enough to be able to go to the high school retreat celebration last weekend. And so I pulled some of the students aside and asked them when they pray, and they like close their eyes, you know, what do they pray to? What, what image kind of surfaces? And they said, Jesus. Some said, you know, the image of Jesus or of God from, from old paintings. Um, clouds, heaven. One person said that she doesn't like to, to focus on an object. She rather just likes to focus on the words that she is praying like a ticker tape, just like focusing, staying focused. And then more than two students said, I don't like to close my eyes when I pray. I like to look up and focus on something like a ceiling tile or a light because that helps me stay focused when I pray. So church, who do you pray to? when you close your eyes? What is the image that comes to mind? In the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, when people prayed to God, they prayed to the God, the Lord of Israel, the God of our fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This God was holy, set apart, worthy of sacrifice and praise. Did you know there are only a handful of times in the huge Hebrew Bible, where God is something relational or close. We we hear a famous one around Easter and around Advent in the Hallelujah Chorus. Wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But this is very rare in the Old Testament. And so for Jews, God is distant, far, the Lord of Israel, the Lord of our fathers. But then Jesus came in the flesh and Jesus began to talk about God in a way that would have turned their worlds upside down. Following God for them, for a first century Jew was rooted in tradition. It was rooted in rules. It was rooted in things that everybody could see. Your faith was something that people could see you do. Jesus comes and he he's, begins to just make this view of God for the world so much more expansive. He taught and lived that you could actually talk to God about everyday life. Like that God was someone that you communed with, communicated with on a daily basis. And it wasn't done for other people to see. This communication with God was something that, that you did in private or in, in small groups. And so there's this time in, in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus goes off by himself to pray. And he comes back and the disciples are so, what were you doing? What, what was that all about? Can you teach us how to pray like, like you just prayed? They are so curious. And his response in the Gospel of Luke, is most of what we say as the Lord's Prayer. There is some that has been added to it by our ancient church fathers. And for the next two months, we are going to be looking at this prayer line by line. And this is our hope for you. Our hope is that as we worship and we we study these specific prayers, and as you experience prayer in small groups of three, And and as you pray yourself in ways that are going to stretch you and in in four things that maybe you're not 
used to praying for is that we all, as a church community, we might see anew the power that comes from praying together. And these trees that you're gonna see that are gonna add be added to our chance are gonna help us do that. These are going to be a, a visual of what it means for the Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church to pray together. And we're taking this from our Native American friends as well as the Chinese tradition. And those are our prayers that are hanging from those trees. And every week moving forward, when you come to worship, you're gonna be given a ribbon. And you're gonna be prompted by the pastor to pray for something specific. And then you're gonna leave those in a basket and we are going to fill these trees with our prayers demonstrating that we are making a commitment over the next 10 weeks to learn what it means to pray in this way. And so today we begin with the first words of this prayer as they are recorded in Luke. Jesus was praying in a certain place and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And so Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, our Father. Let us pray. Our Father, Holy God, we sit at your feet and we desire for you to be close and to speak. And so we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, whatever we need to hear today and this week, that we would be able to hear it clearly and to trust the words that are said. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen to help us explore more what it means for God to, to be called Father and the fact that Jesus started the prayer in this way, we turn to the Apostle Paul because he was trying to explain this to early Christians as well. And so in the book of Romans, he is writing to both a Jewish and a Gentile community. So people that would have been raised understanding God of fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and those who would not have. And this is what the Apostle Paul says to them in chapter 11. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if we in fact suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus could have begun the prayer with my father. He kind of legit was. He could have. The Jesus of the gospels though, oh no, the Jesus of the gospels is always making God bigger, more open, more expansive, more people can come to this God. It is not a, a my father. It is not our possession. No, the thing that happens, we start with our, it had to be our because everybody is welcome. Everybody is included. And something mysterious happens when we realize that all of humanity are children. All humanity are connected, are creations of God. And, and there's something mysterious that happens that brings us actually closer together when we begin praying our. He had to start with our. And then he says, Father. 
So not only is everybody welcome, regardless of your status or your education or your calling, saying God Father, it meant that God was close. God was intimate. God wanted to be in a relationship with you. But remember who is listening to this when Jesus first says, our Father. We know that Jesus spoke Aramaic, and the word he would have used when he actually prayed it then would have been Abba. And Abba was the Aramaic word that a child referred to their earthly father. For Jews in first century, the idea of God being Abba, incomprehensible. Because God was the, God, was the God of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was distant. God was real and out there, but God was not father, Abba, close. Jesus is teaching his disciples in this moment to push who they view God as. Their fundamental understanding of who God is in their life. Jesus is, presents to them for the first time that they have ever heard, your God wants to be in a relationship with you like a father to a child. It is a term of tenderness, a term of protection, of intimacy. God is close and God cares about your daily life. When Paul writes his letter to the Romans, he is trying also to stretch their view of who God is. This is what he says. He says, you are children of God. You have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the Romans would have been people that, that spoke Greek. And in Greek, they would have heard the word Abba or Pater. The Pater was a central role in the Roman household. Anyone who was part of a family with a pater had the same level of status, free or slave, male or female, Jew or Greek. The oldest male in the household was the pater. And everybody that had been taken in, whether from birth or from adoption or by purchase, Everybody was given the same status. And that meant when the pater died, the inheritance, it was divided amongst everyone. God is our father, has adopted us as children. We are heirs. We have rights to the inheritance of living within the kingdom of God now we have to take a pause here because I know in this space right now and in our congregation, there are many people who when we think of praying to Father, that is not a comfortable image. They, they don't want God to be Father because that might have too much wound and, and, and harm from an earthly Father. I want you to know that you are not alone and that it is okay to feel that way. I hope you know that we take that very seriously here at WHPC and we try not to limit the, the image of God to just father. 
We believe that God is not limited to just father, but I do believe there was a reason that God identified as father and that Jesus called him that. And that's back to this. Jesus is trying to tell those folks and to tell us this is someone you can be in a relationship with, to give them a, a point of connection, like a loving parent that you can sit at their feet, a parent who you can trust, a parent who is looking out for you, who, who desires to show you how to live life to your best. And this is what we know, God as Father never harms, never abuses, never disappoints. God is a good, good father. And God has adopted all of us as children. Do we understand what it means to be adopted, to be in close relationship, to all of a sudden receive a new status, regardless of our past, regardless of where we came from, regardless of how much we have sinned or turned away, and do we live into that? My friend Maggie grew up in a suburb of Atlanta and she grew up in a very typical suburban home. Two brothers, two dogs, both the parents had work. She was, she was really good at playing the violin and she was extremely good at playing soccer. But she wasn't, but she wasn't typical at all. Because when she was six months old, her, her family, her, her parents adopted her from other people in Korea. And she grew up in this predominantly white area of Atlanta. And when she was in first or second grade, she was riding on the bus and a girl turned around and said to her, what are you looking at, Chinese girl? And then smacked her in the face. She has countless stories like this. And she really struggled with the difference. And her mom told her, she remembers from an early age, her mom told her, you don't look like us, but you are ours. You are our family, 100%. She would go to pool parties and on her way home, she would say, mom, all of the girls have blonde hair. I want to have blonde hair. She hated being different. It was so difficult to accept that, that she was part of this family. She says, although I appreciated adopted, I didn't want to look different. She, she said, every kid that is adopted, regardless of the incredible feelings that they have towards your parents, you have this identity crisis. Because you, you go through these emotions of, wow, I was adopted, that is so great. And at the same time, there was this act that led to me not being wanted by someone. I had to reach a point of knowing my mom is my mom, my dad is my dad, my brothers are my brothers, and that is my family. When asked what she thinks about being a person of color as a grown woman, she got tears in her eyes and she said, I am still so different. But now it is something I am super proud of, and especially I am proud of my parents. And so I asked Maggie's mom, about her experiences as raising this child from another country. And she said, it has, it's a whole blessed set of stresses. Your whole life and destiny are in the hands of people who you do not know and who do not know you at all. It was a long process and it was so worth it. Friends, Maggie had to get to a point where she accepted 
who she was and whose family she belonged to. And it was a long process, but it was so worth it. And this is what I hear God beckoning to us from this text so long ago. You are my adopted children. You are my adopted children. Sometimes you're going to get smacked in the face by the world, but you are mine. When we say our, we affirm that we are part of a huge family way beyond the walls of this church. And when we say our father, we remember whose we are, where we belong. And in so doing, we are recommitting. Every week when we say this prayer, we are recommitting that we belong to God. It is a time to sit at the feet of God like children and listen to our tender father who has our best interests in mind. I am excited to see what God is going to do this fall as we sit at his feet as the good father. May it be so in my life and in yours.